again, fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 122 in our globetrotting series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder, and today we can justifiably claim the accolade of being globetrotting as I'm talking to you from the hosteling international property six floors up above the streets of Chicago. You can perhaps hear the L train uh, rumbling away in the background, but uh, much more importantly, we're delighted to have as a guest from somewhere in southern France, Raquel, who is a tour manager, a key and possibly unsung part of the travel industry. Welcome, Raquel. Where, where exactly are you? Hello. Good afternoon, um, gentlemen. I am based in um, in a little town called Béziers in the Languedoc between uh, Perpignan and Montpellier. Mm. Oh, well, that's a, a very lovely place. And, and um, I, I expect a very hot place. Yes, very hot at the moment. But I think, um, you know, it, it's early, sort of uh, 32, 33, which is quite normal in August for this area. So I think you are the ones suffering more than we are. Yes, I think I am. Yes, indeed, because I am still in Streatham, South London, so not globe trotting apart from in my imagination. And I can safely say it's basking, or should I say suffering in the Mexico-style midday heat. Um, even though <laughs> extraordinarily, um, one, of, um, one of my near neighbours has... Uh, has, has um, got out his angle grinder and uh, we might well be interrupted by that uh, but maybe heat uh, exhaustion will claim him i hope so i don't mean that of course uh, simon how about you well all i will say is dear listeners if you hear something which sounds like an angle angle grinder angle grinder crikey um, an ang- angle grinder it's actually the l train going past my window so um uh, do 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 allow us a little bit of um uh, exciting sound effects from elsewhere. Um, today, well, it's, it's generally been pleasantly warm, a little on the hot side, but um, Chicago had this awful heat wave actually back in the 20th century, if anybody can remember that. 1995, many hundreds of people very sadly died oh. during an extremely long, um, it was about five days of being well over 40 Celsius, which is uh, 100 and something Fahrenheit. And uh, that that was really awful. So um, although the Midwest in summer is always going to be challenging um, today, it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to going out and about and enjoying uh, the city rather than its air conditioning. Well, we're looking forward to hearing a lot more about your trip, probably in the next podcast, because um, uh, I should thank you, by the way, for sending the uh, all the splendid audio recordings and um, we will hear them later. Although your trip on a train called the Wolverine is too good not to play later on in this podcast. But we must start with Raquel. Raquel, I am dying to find out what a tour manager really does. Okay, well, I'll do my best to explain it. Um, Tour managers are also sometimes called tour directors. You may have heard of tour directors and tour escorts. Uh, We work in the travel industry and more specifically for tour operators. Uh, Tour managers... um, They manage tours from start to finish, doing all possible to ensure things run smoothly as they are responsible for delivering the itinerary that the uh, customer has paid for. Uh, They deal with logistics, excursions, hotels, local guides. You know, they're not miracle workers or magicians, but, you know, they do what they can to to ensure that uh, a tour goes swimmingly well. 
If I may, Raquel, a lot of people might kind of hear the term um, tour manager and think, oh, yes, they're the person carrying that uh, flag or that umbrella and taking people around Rome, telling them um, uh, all about the Pantheon. But you're not a tour guide. You are very, very much uh, a, a logistics person. Yeah? That's right. We do all the logistics. Um, tour guides are obviously very different, extremely intelligent people who um, study very hard to obtain um the qualifications in order to explain the local heritage to you. So people do tend to uh, expect tour managers to be tour guides, and we're not. Most tour guides I know would not want to be tour managers. <laughs> and they say so quite openly. <laughs> it's not. And does the, does the opposite apply as well? Uh, yes, I think the opposite ex- applies as well because tour managers love traveling. We love meeting people. Tour guides do as well, of course. But, you know, to be a tour guide, uh, you have to pass these exams. And, for example, in the UK, uh, I believe it's the Blue Badge Guides. Yes. They're the official tour guides in the United Kingdom. In France, they're called Guide Conferencier. And so it's not at all the same profession. You know, tour managers have to be enthusiastic. We love traveling. We're organized. At least we like to think we are. We're organized. We fully research every tour we have to do, every destination. But nonetheless, there's a big difference between that and being a local guide. Um, Now, I don't tend to go on um, group tours. You go everywhere with your group. Um, and, and do you eat with them? And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, generally you're there with yes. them. Yes. And so are you? Yes. So yes. you're kind of there to be, um, well, obviously chatted with, but also to be um, asked questions of by everybody on the tour at any time. Doesn't that get a bit wearing? Yes, but that's what we love to do as well. Mm. I mean, groups, you have. There's also the issue of group sizes. You can have groups of 10, uh, 15 people, uh, 20 people, 30 people, 40 odd people. So there is a lot of managing to do. And yes, we are there for absolutely everyone and they are there to ask us questions. But the tour tour manager's job, a lot of it is before the tour. A lot of it is in the research and preparation for the tour. And in order to manage a tour, if you're not well prepared, well researched, well researched, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to work. Can I ask what uh, the um, customer themselves, your one of your clients, what do you call them? Passengers? How, how, how are they described? Uh, the pa- passengers, customers, yeah. clients. Yeah. Oh, passengers okay. Very so often, just yes. suppose Mick is a perfect customer. Um, and I am mm-hmm. the absolute complete pain in the backside passenger. Um, how would each of us behave? What 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 what's Mick doing well? What am I doing bad? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it de- it depends. I mean, the perfectly behaved um, uh, passenger is a passenger that understands the holiday they they're on. They understand that nothing is perfect in the, in the real world, and things can go swimmingly well for I don't know if it's a seven, eight, nine day holiday, and then one day something can happen. It could be a train strike, as we all know well. There could be a, a delay in, in the coach turning up. These things happen. So the ideal passenger understands the reality and that looks at the, at the fact that the holiday is well organized. The tour manager's working hard, but you know we don't control everything. Now, the non-ideal passenger, but we love them anyway, <laughs> are those who will probably, <laughs> are those who, let's face it, will probably complain about almost anything. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> and then at that point, you take the side. <laughs> and it depends, you know. Yeah. It, it, it also depends. We know how to handle uh, our passengers. You know, they're, they're, any group is a, is a reflection of society. 
And uh, I mean, I, I've been known to take people to the side and say, listen, um, if you have issues, you've got to take it up with the company, but try to enjoy the holiday that you've paid for in the meantime. Uh, yeah, Raquel, you are, you are in this business because you love traveling. But look, I imagine that the pay is pretty ropey as it is in so many areas of the travel industry. So you're doing it for your the love pay. of travel. Yes. Well, I personally, I personally am not doing it for the love of travel. I do it because I love traveling, but I also do it for the salary. And it's true. Oh, some, okay, good. Mm, some tour, it's true, some tour operators, to be honest, the pay is absolutely appalling. But um, no, no, some of the some of them do pay, especially the American ones that I know. They they salary is quite decent. Ooh, and I, I'm 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 hearing American, and I'm thinking tips as well. Is that uh, I know that uh, we, we we can't ask too much because the tax authorities are um, among the highest profile listeners to you should have been there. But um, <laughs> uh, but, but I imagine that that that. Um, you, you would be uh, all other things being exactly equal. If you had 30 Americans compared with 30 Brits, you would be expecting to do rather better on the tip front from the Americans. Yeah, than from of, the of course. Um, of course. Of course, it's part of their culture. But having said that, having said that, I don't believe tour managers should uh, um, income should come from tips. Right. I really do feel they should be paid a decent salary because it's a really tough job. And let's face it, a lot of the passengers um, that do these group tours, um, especially in the senior sector, wouldn't do them if there wasn't either weren't tour managers, tour yeah. directors, and tour escorts. Really yeah. important point. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, one more question from me, which is: Do you do tour operators in general? get proper respect, not just from your passengers, your clients, but also from hoteliers, from uh, train operators uh, <laughs> and, and so on. Do they say, here's Raquel, she's doing a really difficult, important professional job. Let's be really nice to her or something else. Well, I think generally speaking, tour managers are respected, especially, you know, in the logistics side, the train managers and so on and so forth. They understand because they're in the same industry as us. We are I always call them colleagues in a way, uh, you know, um, in, the trans in, the, in the logistics side. And the hotels, I'll say to them, we're colleagues. However, I do have a, a big complaint, and uh, which is with a lot of uh, hotels and the sort of accommodation they, uh, they allocate to tour managers and drivers. You know, let's face it, well, there are companies that uh, don't have tour managers, but they use drivers as their tour managers almost. You know, there are um, these tour operators as well. And so I'm talking about drivers as well. Oh. And they need comfortable rooms. They don't need, you know, uh, the dark rooms, the ones near the uh, lifts, the ones that they think no one else deserves. And not single beds. You know, we have tour tour managers that I I've you know I know that having single beds with their feet hanging off the end of the of the beds. I mean, it's ridiculous. You have rooms, your rooms that you can barely get into, and that look onto walls. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, if you have the chance to be in the room at three o'clock in the afternoon, you have to switch on your your light. I mean, that's just not on. It says I think. So, no, I do think there is an issue there with some of the hotels uh, and, and their treatment of tour managers in terms of room allocations. Well, I've got one more um, question about about your job. Um, and that is um, lots of people who listen to the podcast would probably call themselves independent mm -hmm, travellers. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of tips would you give them for the, the sort of... Um, 
neatest, quickest way of organising their own trips, because this is something that really is your bread and butter, isn't it? Well, it's it's very easy these days in terms of um, uh, organising your, your your own trips. If they do, if they want to do it on their own, you have you can do it online. You know, you can book everything online, and uh, there won't be a tour manager there. And if anything goes wrong, you deal with it. However, and also big big tip is to travel light. If you don't want to travel light, is send. There are organisations now that we can send your luggage ahead. Don't weigh yourself down with luggage. You know we have their washing machines, and uh, you can wash things by hand. They dry very quickly. Do not weigh yourself down with luggage. That's really important. But a lot of these um, tour operators as well, they have um, um, they have um, aspects departments that deal with organising uh, travel for independent travellers. So even though they are travelling on their own, they still have the backup of the organisation, of the tour operator, that's put their itinerary together. So you have the do-it-yourself, and you have the, you know, let the tour operator uh, organise it for you, but then travel on your own. Um, I'd like to uh, point out that Mick has a luggage solution of his own, which is to get me to carry some of his stuff. Um, which, ah, uh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my well, we're, in fact, we're going to try this out again. Um, well, Simon will probably be wise to it by now, but we're going on a um, a walking, a trekking um, expedition in the Pyrenees, oh. and uh, Simon will take an absolutely huge rucksack um, into which I could probably add a few things because I take a very small rucksack, but I can't get all my stuff into <laughs> so, it. Yeah. So um, uh, this is. Quite um, yeah, and we, we very funny. much would welcome you coming along to manage us because um, that is a part of. Listen, hey, be, I'll be I'll be down the road from you, so yes, it's not far from me. So I'll come and manage you, but I don't. But remember, I don't I don't carry anything. I'm not a porter. <laughs> no, absolutely, and you're not a driver either. So we're going to have to rely on the dodgy bus from Lord Airport up to uh, up to the Pyrenees. Oh. That'd be fine. You're a lovely experience. Oh, it'd be fun, yeah. But um, <laughs> Raquel, I'd, I'd like to get on to um, a specific travel passion, which I know you have, and this is sort of outside your job, really, I think, which is canals. You've written guides to some French ones, the Canal du Midi, which I do know, and the Canal de la Lair, which I've never heard of. Where, where is that? Well, la, la, Lair, la Lair is a, no, la Lair is a river. Ah, right. It's in the it's 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 in the west of France. It's a river. It's just we do we focus on canals. For example, yeah. Canal de du Midi, Canal de Garonne, and and then there's some of these rivers that go off it. But uh, no, the Lalaire is actually a river. It's a coastal river in the in the west of in the west of France. West of France. Is it now? Na- it's navigable though. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. Part of, we could do canoes. Yeah, canoes and stuff like and activities on there. That's right. Yes, that was just a, uh, um, something we put together. A guide we put together in 2019. But we do. We specialize more on, on the canals themselves. Yes. And I live uh, on the Canal du Midi. You know, sort of. Uh, it's just, I mean, from my home, it's literally five minutes walk, not even. So I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That sounds, sounds absolutely blissful. Um, uh, do, do many people uh, cruise up and down? I mean, yes. in, a, um, or, or in, in a boating sense. <laughs> in a boating sense, of course. Um, maybe in the other sense as well. I have no idea. But um, yes, of course, it's a major tourist uh, attraction here. You have um, 
um, canal canal trips. You have you do independent navigation if you want. There are lots of people who actually live on uh, on the on the canal du Midi as well on their on their boats, and then you have uh, all different types of luxury uh, cruises as well. And obviously, it's been complicated with the um, with the coronavirus, just like the whole of the sector. And uh, but yes, a lot of the, 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 the it's, it's all coming back now. It's all coming back. It's a very very important aspect of the local economy. It, the Canal de Midi goes from, for those who don't know, it's from the Mediterranean to to Toulouse, and then from Toulouse onto the Atlantic, you have the Canal de Garonne, which was built uh, in the middle of the 19th century. The Canal de Midi uh, was inaugurated in the 17th century, so it's a, it's a very very important landmark, and it's a UNESCO heritage site as well. Ah, you'd kind of imagine, and I don't know if it's true that um, with a interest in slow travel that. Um, uh, canal uh, narrow boat or uh, barge travel um, holidays have uh, have um, blossomed and boomed, but I don't know if that really is the case, is it? Because I've sort of looked into it and even mm-hmm. done it a couple of times, and it really mm-hmm. is quite expensive. Yes, I mean uh, that's true. It is quite expensive, and I but I think it's it's a style. It's it's, it's a preference. I mean, people just love doing it and um, it's a choice and if you for example hire a boat and you are six of you then you're sharing the cost among six people um, yeah. you have to look at the price but yes some of the some of the higher end high end um, um, cruises are quite expensive it has to be said oh right but but it's much more fun to do your own um, and become a kind of dangerous learner driver on, on a canal <laughs> with one of these hey these I've seen you on there I've seen you on there you, you might well have done um, we <laughs> one of my more <laughs> embarrassing experiences was on the um, Trent Mersey Canal, um, and, the, and, tr- and on the first day, um, it happened to be my turn to be uh, the uh, the steers person and um, or uh, skipper, I think we. And uh, so I had the mm-hmm. captain's cap on, and uh, I had to manoeuvre this wretched, this huge thing. It was a six berth um, uh, narrow boat uh, into quite a narrow parking space beside a pub. The wonderful thing about the pub was that its garden went straight down to the canal. And um, uh, unfortunately, um, it, the garden, because it was a very nice June, um, was filled with people enjoying an evening pint and even more enjoying my pathetic attempts to try and <laughs> try and park this thing um but uh, well it was very good fun uh, and <laughs> in general funny. i must say but i i think you need to do it for a, a week in order to slow down enough to enjoy the slow yeah, i agree i agree i agree but talking about locks though just to refer to locks i mean the canal de media has this unique oval shaped locks and to be honest part of the pleasure of living near the uh, Canal du Midi is actually, as you say, watching people navigating the locks. <laughs> it's a wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you can make a film out of it. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Well, and look, if, if I can put, put in a brief shout out for my uh, favourite canal for a slow travel experience is the uh, Caledonian Canal um, in the oh, Great right. Glen of, Sco- of Northern Scotland. Um, 
And of course, this goes between Fort William and Inverness. And actually, a good half of it is um, completely natural in the form of um, uh, Loch Ness. And then you've got this beautifully created uh, canal as well. And best to go on an organized trip with a proper tour manager who's going to make sure sure you are going to have a lovely time aboard. Of course, of course. Now, here's a sound that uh, will thrill all true travellers. It's uh, not connected with canals, I'm afraid, but it is a train hooter. And um, it comes from, well, over to you, Simon. It comes from Detroit's main railway station, which I imagined would be this great cathedral to the train, in the same way that here in Chicago and, of course, at New York Grand Central, you have got these marvellous buildings. In fact, it looks, if I may, about two steps down from Streatham Common, uh, a station which um, I am familiar with. And uh, uh, rail travel is such a minority sport in America that I joined this very random kind of gaggle, all waiting for the Wolverine heading for Chicago. There's about 50 people waiting for a very long, very chrome train. It does look as though it's escaped from the 1950s through some kind of time warp and has returned to Detroit to seal the railroad's triumph over the automobile or not. The fact that there's only 50 people getting on from a vast city suggests that uh, it's not doing particularly well. And for my journey, which is about half an hour, I paid, oh, $11, so maybe £9 or so. I don't think that the many billions of dollars of subsidy that Amtrak gets is going to get reduced as a result of me. And comically, trains in the UK are designed to allow lots of people to get on and off at the same time. This one is designed with, uh, there's quite a lot of doors, but um, only two of them are being used with, if I may, and I'm saying this quite quietly, with the kind of luggage that Americans are renowned for. Since you are at wheel level, at track platform level, is where the tracks are. There's a heck of a climb before you're inside the train and the lady in front of me has um well she appears to be moving house let's put it like that so we shall see anyway there's a train captain i can tell that because he's got four stripes on his uh, epaulettes and he is helping people get on the train but it's quite a performance Uh, He's got a little step, yellow step that people can stand on in order to uh, hoist themselves aboard this magnificent train. I'll tell you what, there's something which says cafe, which in the train is a big locomotive at the front. One, two, three, four, five silver coaches. It's quite good that they've got a cafe, but I suppose if you're going all the way from Pontiac to Chicago... Thank you. Very nice of you to say I'm a young man after you've sold me a, a, a ticket for a, a senior person. Thank you very much, sir. You go, go, up, go up to the right, go in the business. Oh, my goodness. I've got an upgrade. I've got an upgrade. I can't believe it. I've got an upgrade. Um, 
this, uh, this is the most um, astonishing thing. So, um, well, for my eleven dollars, I'm just going into um, into business class. He just told me to. Now, if you think British trains are awful, you should just uh, have a look at this one. Good morning, ma'am. How are you? Very good, nice to see you. Wow. Oh my goodness. Here I am in business class. This is frankly unbelievable. It looks like an airline business class from about 1973. It does, it does. I've taken the front seat on the left, 1A. My my usual seat. All right, sir, you are all set. Oh, and then that's... when we get to Dearborn, the next stop, we'll open up right back here. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, okay. okay thank you, sir. The train captain is now my best friend. Uh, obviously, apart from you, Mick. Well, you won't get any upgrades from uh, me, Simon. Uh, Raquel, are you a <laughs> fan of uh, railway travel? Oh, absolutely. I love rail travel, even though because the railways, the canals lost their power. I have no, um, I'm, I'm totally uh, a fan of rail travel and um, I work, my work in, uh, involves a lot of rail travel, whether it's in Europe and I've done tours also to China using the bullet trains, which are extraordinarily impressive. And um, in the early 80s, when the TGVs were first launched, I don't think anyone would have thought uh, we would have the sort of network we have at the moment. And it's, it's magnificent. So, yes, I'm a huge fan. And you're going to have to wait till the next podcast, I'm afraid, to hear more about uh, Simon's transatlantic travels on trains and off them. And we'd like to hear from you about, well, great railway and canal experiences. Um, and also something we mentioned last time, travel coincidences, meeting someone, you know, somewhere unexpected. Let us know at you should have BT. That's on Twitter. Or you can leave us an audio message anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. Well, Simon is fascinated by this theme. Uh, Raquel, has, has this ever happened to you? Have you met someone really you didn't expect to meet somewhere <laughs> extremely unexpected? Well, funny enough, it tends to happen with former clients <laughs> that I may have taken on tour. <laughs> it happened recently. Uh, it was in uh, April. I was um, in Paris. I'm going to take the train home to the south of France. And there was a colleague with another group um, at um, at the station, so I went to, at, at Gare de Lyon. So I went to say hello to him, and because uh, I knew he was taking the train after mine. And as I went towards him, <laughs> there was a passenger who said to me, "I remember you. You took us to." <laughs> Luckily, he had good memories of me. Otherwise, <laughs> so he was doing another tour. <laughs> So, oh, yes. wow. That was recent. That was a few months ago. Well, Raquel, thanks so much for joining us today. You're more than welcome. And it was lots of fun chatting to you both. Well, I will second mixed remarks. I'll also say I'm hoping to sign up for a tour somewhere with you. It sounds an awful lot more fun <laughs> than it is um, uh, with mixed organisation. Um, for now, uh, from me, Simon Calder. And uh, me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.